This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. This is the Coast and Country download from the BBC. You can find the terms and conditions on our website at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash radio 4. Today you can hear Open Country with me, Helen Mark. Listen to this. To strive, to seek, to find and not to yield. You'll know it because it's Tennyson. It's used all the time. It was carved into the London Olympic Stadium. Judy Dench used it in the James Bond film Skyfall. For this week's Open Country, I'm in the Lincolnshire Wolds and this is the birthplace of Alfred Lord Tennyson. And I want to find out how this secret, remote landscape had an impact on one of this country's greatest poets. This is Harrington Hall. It's a place that Tennyson would have known really well. It's just a couple of miles from his home hamlet of Somersby. And I've come here to be with Jean Howard, who is a Blue Badge guide. Tennyson spent his boyhood at Somersby, and he then went away to college. Sadly, whilst he was at Trinity Cambridge, his father was taken ill and died. And he decided that the only sensible thing to do to support his mother with all the younger brothers and sisters who still lived at home, that he should leave his university education and return to Lincolnshire. And living here at that time was a very wealthy family that included three young ladies whose surname was Baring, which you may know from Baring's Bank. They were part of that family. So he would have known this house very well. In fact, he used to walk around the area. He was a great walker throughout all his life. But of course, the young ladies would be in what we might call the marriage market. They were in their teens. Um, Their family were looking out for suitable suitors for them. And the poem Maud, in fact, includes quite a lot of bitterness because Tennyson would not have been well regarded by the family. He was merely a younger son of a poor country parson. They were from a much higher social class. And in fact, he rails in Maud about the unfairness of this, uh, the fact that love isn't allowed to conquer all in a life such as hers. So he came as a suitor to this young woman, but was rejected. It seems so. And why did he call it Maud when that wasn't her name? Well, it's partly based on the call of the bird, the rook. Um, there is a, a plantation of trees at the end of the uh, hall here. Um, around above the, it. Indeed, mm. a, around the end of the churchyard. And this is still a rookery to this day. I had hoped they'd be calling furiously whilst we're, we're actually standing here, but they're not obliging today. But the line, Maud, 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 is supposed, it does accurately reflect the call, the core of a rook. So uh, many people would know of Maud because they know the line come into the garden Maud and then it was the, the, the music hall song That's right. and everything. But I think what's fascinating about Tennyson and being here in Lincolnshire is discovering how what happened in his early days here stayed with him all his life. The love, the loss, the heartbreak that he had, yes. but also the landscape that he so loved. Sometimes he complained about it. He complained of its remoteness, the difficulty of getting transport uh, and getting post often enough here. Um, And yet when he left Lincolnshire, he thought very fondly of his boyhood here. And I think the landscape here and the chalk hills are very, very important to him throughout his life. 
when they left Lincolnshire, they left after his father died, and for many long years he almost roamed the whole country, staying with friends and family. And it was only after he married, and they finally found the house at Farringford on the Isle of Wight, that he really settled down again. And when I went down to Farringford, I think in a way I was quite startled to find that, of course, it's the chalk again. It's the same outcrop of chalk that runs all the way southwards through the country and comes up again in the Isle of Wight, and indeed in the South Downs, which was where he built his summer home of Oldworth. So I think it's only in a chalk landscape that his soul was at peace. At this particular point, we're just about a mile west of the hamlet of Somersby, and I'm with Helen Gamble, and you are a, a project officer with the Lincolnshire Wold Countryside Service. When you see the walls for the first time, it's a lovely sensation because very often you approach them across very flat land, and you get this sense as though the ground has been slightly inflated. That's right, as you drive along to them and the horizon suddenly seems to swell in front mm. of you. You're enveloped, like hugged by the rolling hills and the valleys. And you've actually brought me to this tiny little quarry which just sits off the edge of the road. Lincolnshire isn't renowned for being a rocky county, but the Spillsby sandstone here is quite an acidic rock. You can almost carve it <laughs> with a, yeah, a penknife or a compass point, just like, you know, scrawling on a desk at school. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> Let's go down and have a look. So this bowl that we've dropped down into now, this is the hollowed out quarry and the back edge of it has some of this special Spilsby sandstone. Visitors, human visitors first of all, as, as people often do, is they've carved their names in it. Yes. But it's not a tiny little etching, is it? No, oh. it's, it's not. There's lots of initials and people have um, carved faces into it. There's eyes and mouth and they look like skulls yeah and, and something oh yeah look at that one that's like some sort of alien face somebody's <laughs> carved into it which you know normally you would say oh that's terrible but actually it adds a certain character to the stone doesn't it this quarry in particular when the church at summers bay was restored a few years ago they actually extracted some of the stone from here because there is no current working spillsby sandstone quarries and as tennyson would have walked across the wolds over to see family over at Tealby, he would have transversed a lot of the different geology and he would have seen different trees in the hedgerows as he went from parish to parish. He would certainly have not have heard the crow scarers or certainly not have seen the plastic rows upon rows for root crops, the lack of horses and carts and the sheer lack of men working the fields, if you like. But some of the things he would have recognised now that maybe a hundred years ago weren't around. We have in Lincolnshire a couple of uh, distinctive breeds to the county. We've got the Lincoln red cattle and the Lincolnshire longwalls. And the red cattle did experience a drop in numbers, but the traditional breeds as a meat breed is actually being recognised once again now. So in a way it's come full circle in 200 years. It's actually come full circle, which is nice. a contrast in my surroundings now because I was in the hollow of a, the sandstone quarry and now I find myself on top of the walls looking down across I mean the view must go on for 15 20 miles easily as the crow flies and I'm, <laughs> I'm looking out across it with Louise Fairburn this is Risby 
You can see the cathedral on the horizon. Spires of it. Yeah, yeah. which is, is, you're dead right, about just a, exactly 15 miles <laughs> as the crow flies. <laughs> It'll be a lot longer on these twisty roads around it the world. <laughs> and between us and that far horizon, we have a flock of sheep. The Lincoln Longwool. Longwool. <laughs> How could it not be called that? But they're so big, Louise. They are. They're our largest native breed of sheep. So they're the biggest thing that ever came out of this, this little island. But they've become a rare breed, so different from a couple of hundred years ago. Well, this particular breed would have just been the only breed, <laughs> pretty much, from here up in the Wolds and the Northwest Scarp, right across the county down to the Fens. Since the 1950s, when we started spinning nylon, making man-made fibres, the demand for wool dropped quite significantly and has done ever since. So when you've got a breed that its big USP is the wool and the long wool that it grows, then there's not any really great commercial reason for breeding them. But there was back in Tennyson's day, because wool was still a huge commodity then, his heyday would have been, what, the 1850s. Mm -hmm. Wool would have just been really pretty much one of the only fibres we had other than cotton, a massive part of the local economy. In fact, the wool from the, the sheep that we see in the fields here really did build this county. So many of the great churches, the big architectural buildings were all built from the profits of the wool. And then there would have been tens of thousands of them. Some other breeds died out. The curly coat pig we lost in Lincolnshire. Lincolnshire's quite a rare county and it had one of everything. It had its own breed of sheep, its own pig. <laughs> its own cattle. <laughs> and, a, and a breed of poultry, the Lincolnshire buff. And it also had the Shire horse and it's the only county that's got that claim to fame. Girls, come on. So first of all, you see that they have the, the almost like a dreadlock look down across their face. Yeah, they're, they're an incredibly lustrous breed. It's not only long, but it, it, when you actually get hold of the piece, it shines back at you with sort of a yellowy gold colour. So the number of these Lincoln Longwools dropped below a 1,000 across the whole of the country? Yes, at the minute, we're standing at about 900 breeding ewes. And if we drop under 900, which I think we will do next year, then we'll move up to category three, which is vulnerable. We're heading in the wrong direction, unfortunately. <laughs> Tennyson was born in the hamlet of Summersby and I'm just coming up to the rectory, this is where the family lived uh, in, the, in the early days and you come round the side of the rectory and out across the lawn there are these three little pigs making their way up towards me which is a lovely sight and Debbie Jenner is meeting me here. She's been involved in a project to restore the old church, which is just on the other side of the road, but also in creating events like the, the Tennyson Festival in August to help people who come here to, to find out more about Tennyson and his, his early life. He was one of 11 children, and Tennyson's father, George Clayton Tennyson, was rector here and at Bag Enderby. Tennyson actually never came back either once he'd left. He came very close. He used to go to Mablethorpe and he would still come up to Lincolnshire, but he, he never came back to Somersby. But he did leave himself. We think he left some graffiti in the church. Oh. Well, last year we had restoration work done. We were lucky to be granted heritage lottery funding to restore the church because it was in a bit of a sad state of repair. And while we were in the belfry, I noticed a carved AT1827 and pointed it out to the stonemasons who just looked at me a bit gormless and said, um, I said, well, 80, that's Alfred Tennyson, and that's the year they left. 
His father, we think, had epilepsy, but he might have been bipolar. So when he came here, I mean, the people that lived here outside of the Tennysons were farmers who spoke nothing but dialect. So there's this very learned man with these, the congregation of people who can't write, couldn't read, and were speaking dialect. So he was a bit frustrated. And he did, unfortunately, turn into a, an alcoholic as well, and he got quite nasty. Mm. Yeah. Now, it's an important place in Tennyson's life, those mm. early years that he was here because of the impact that it had on his writing, yes. you know, really, until the day he died. Yes. But it's now a private house. Yes. So have we lost that link in Tennyson's story? No, no. I mean, the, well, we do do things here. We're doing a festival here in August, this August. But the village itself and the, uh, the landscape has very little changed since mm. his day. It doesn't shout Tennyson at you, no. really, does it? No. There, there isn't the Tennyson Inn or ye little no. Tennyson no. shop. No, <laughs> no. I'm noticing lots more interest in him anyway. You know, whether he'll be really popular, I don't know. But um, we're hoping to pull more people in to Somersby and have a look at the beautiful countryside that he did write about, you know, when he was here. Because it, it is beautiful. You know, it's sort of Lincolnshire's best-kept secret. Alfred, of course, um, who would he be associating with? It would be the locals, the labourers, and I think that explains why Tennyson, I think he had two voices, which is where I fit in, actually, because <laughs> I believe that I have two voices. Right. You are Loretta Rivard. That's and right. You, when you talk about the two voices and how you feel that connection to Tennyson, it's because he was, and you are, a native dialect speaker. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. Lincolnshire dialect, I always call it my first language, and Queen's English is my second language, a language that I had to learn when I left the security of the village. Now, I don't know whether Tennyson spoke in two ways, but he certainly wrote in two ways. He wrote in the standard English that we know the Port Laureate for, come into the garden more, the charge of the light brigade, etc. But he also wrote poems with titles like The Church Warden and the Curate, The Northern Farmer, The Spinster's Sweethearts, and they are all written in beautiful Lincolnshire dialect, which he would have spoken to the labourers and that when he was actually out in the countryside and he would hear that voice. And we also know because there is a recording of Tennyson. Even when he's reading The Charge of the Light Brigade, you can hear a Lincolnshire accent there, though he isn't speaking in the dialect. You can hear that voice. And that was recorded when he was an old man, years after he left Lincolnshire. So he held his accent. Uh, this a... comes as a bit of a surprise to me, Loretta. To me, he's, he's very verbose. I hear the poet laureate, that poshness about him, that great Victorian, not the Lincolnshire man. So what did it bring to his poetry that you don't get when you read the standard English. If I was to read you a little what? bit of Tennyson's dialect from The Northern Farmer, he talks about the waste, the wasteland. Do you mind the waste, me lass? Noor, noor, there was not born then. There were a boggle in it. I often heard him, me sen, most like a butter bump, for I heard him a boat and a boat. But I stubbed him up with a lot and raved and rambled him out. Keep as it were, for the fun him there, a lad of his face, downy the wild and enemies, afore I come to the place. Nooks or Thimbleby, Toner had shot him as dead as a nail. Nooks were hanged for it up at the size, 
but give me my ale. And <laughs> that, uh, honestly... That, that is a huge surprise to me. It doesn't sound very much like you would expect a poet laureate no. to be writing, particularly a Victorian poet laureate. And what's he describing? What What is it? The waste, wasteland, says it was not at all but bracken and fuzz. And it's a piece of wasteland that's growing bracken and, and, and gorse. And gorse, yeah. fuzz. If you're a good farmer, you clear it, just like he has, he stubbed it up to get weeds out of the ground. Folk said there were a boggle in it. Boggle. A boggle, a ghost, a spirit or something. Oh, yeah. They kept hearing something, but he said, oh, most like a butter bump. Do you know what a butter nope, bump is? Nope. A bitten. You oh, know, the, the bird, the, the bitten, the, the boom. And uh, he, he, he says that's probably what it was. And uh, uh, unfortunately for nowadays, trying to preserve nature, the farmer is actually saying, I got rid of all the wasteland and, and the wetland, and so the butter bump's <laughs> no longer there. Whereas nowadays, we would really <laughs> be trying to encourage it to be there. And they're the tales of the real characters of the Lincolnshire countryside in his day. Loretta, I have a tiny favour. I want you to teach me um, a phrase or two because I'm now heading off to visit Andy Robinson, who is a farmer, and he's he's a native speaker. So I want I, I want to uh, impress, surprise him. <laughs> um, so what could I say? I'm meeting what? him for the first time on his farm. Now then. N- now then. No. Now then. Now then. Now then. Now then. Now then. As in now then. Yeah. Now yeah. Then. Yeah. But if you say now then, it sounds like uh, you know the old-fashioned policeman. Now then. Now then. <laughs> so you want now then. How are you megarin? Now then. How are you megarin? And then if he says it's all fair to middling, you'll know it's all right, because Lincolnshire farmers, you know, they never have anything good. I come from farming stock, so it doesn't matter, you know, I, I, can, I can honestly tell you this. If they say it's fair to middling, you know everything's all right. Now then, mate. Now, mate. <laughs> Not bad. Nice uh, <laughs> to meet you. I was practising, I was with Loretta Rivet down in Summersby, and I've been practising the few miles between there and oh, here, yeah. just outside Tetford. <laughs> Did I get it all right? Not bad, not bad, <laughs> for the first time. And what have I really just said to you, Andy? He just said hello, really. Yeah. There's more to it than that, though. I think there's a kind of a bit of a warmth and a friendliness in there. Yeah, I think there is, really, isn't there? Oh. It's, it's just, it's, yeah, it's a bit different just saying hello to somebody, isn't it? Isn't it? No, mate, are you right? So this is Hillside Farm. It is, yeah. Outside uh, Tetford. We've got mm. a lovely view down across the... the walls there, isn't it? The beautiful mm. open fields. Southern edge of the walls. That's the southern edges of the top. Horizon, that's the southern edge of the walls. That just about that's about the edge of it. it drops down then towards the fens in Boston. Yeah, so <clears throat> that's the main road to to Skeg. Generations of working the land in the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundreds of years, both sides family. Yeah, Dad came here when he got married um, to Mum. They used to farm a couple of miles away. That big farm down in the valley he used to be at Salmonby with my granddad. And then when he got married, he came up here. We've nearly had sixty years here between us. When you are working, when you're farming, I'm wondering, as Tennyson used native dialect in some of his poems, do you use it in your day, daily work? No, oh, I. Is it part yeah. of your life day to day? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 dying out. I mean, it, it's there's a lot of people around here that um, don't particularly use it and sort of grown out of it, I suppose. But uh, it's connected to the farming, isn't it? Most of it in Linkshire. I mean, we had no hotels in Linkshire other than 
little bit of fishing at the top end and farming. Other than that, over the last few hundred years, you know, everybody's been connected to the land, and it's and most of our dialects connected to the to the job we do and the things we use and the you know and what we get up to basically. So, so what and the weather for, and yeah, what for example then? Well, I mean, for instance, if it's looking down there, that's a dress close. That is. Oh, well, anyway, not necessarily a field, it's a close, just it's closed in and it's grass, so it's a dress close. Grass. There's quite a bit of Scandinavian influence in the in the local dialect, from the Vikings and the like. If we've got a, a mucky out there and it's foggy and wet and just miserable, we just say it's an hourie out there. An hourie out mm, day. But there's a Scandinavian word har, which means pretty much the same thing. And you use those words quite commonly in your day-to-day -day language. Nature. I don't yeah. think you use no else. Yeah. If it was chucking it down, if we were stood here getting wet through, I'd say we're getting a rate right kelching. Kelching? Rate right kelching around. A, a soaking? Yeah. A downpour? Yeah. Chucking it down, yeah. yeah. You, you do realise you're using it, but you know you don't realise how different it is to what other folks use. So, yeah, but yeah, generally people are quite interested. They look at you a bit puzzled and then you think they ain't got that, are they? And then after a while they'll talk, what, what was that? Well, they'll ask somebody else. Uh -huh. Instead of asking me, they might ask somebody else. But I mean, there's plenty of people still use words like that. And, and uh, But mainly connected to the farming job, you see. Just most of it is connected to nature and land and farming. It, it's obviously got, it's got diluted. I mean, I wouldn't be, if Tennyson was here now listening to me, he wouldn't recognise maybe broad at all. So it has been watered down. I think it has over the last yeah, yeah since Tennyson's yeah. time. It's bound to be, I think. But it's still, I think it's still quite strong in lots of places. And you want it to stay? God, I yeah. That's why we're in. That's why we're doing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. You have an association, right? Mm. It's called Farwell. Uh, yeah. Mm. Right. What does that mean? Well, that's a word. And that's if an ODO gets on her back and can't get up, and she's stuck, then she's farwelled. So we use it as a bit of a, a bit of an analogy for. If somebody's in trouble, he's always got any send far well that I'll go help him out. Because, you know, if you're, you're in a mess, basically, you want a bit of help. So we just, that's how we look at it anyway. So it's far welted up north, brig up towards Yorkshire, and that end of the county, it's rig welted, because that's what they use in Yorkshire. Actually, the rig welted beer in Yorkshire. Did you do Tennyson at school? No. As a, I, mean, I, don't actually do, I don't actually recite any Tennyson, I don't do any. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't call him a Lincolnshire poet, but he was a poet from Lincolnshire, and he held Lincolnshire with him. I mean, he didn't write his his dialect poems till he's been out of the county 30 years. Well, who was he writing them for then? For, for himself, I guess, and, and for anybody that wanted to read them. Mm. But he'd, he'd remember the dialect from when he was an old boy, and it obviously stuck with him, and he, he knew how to write it and speak it and make sense of it. You know, the English audience wouldn't have understood it, but if he'd come home, mm. they would have got every single word. Yeah, mm. yeah. That's interesting. Absolutely. He did yeah. insulate them. And right. I would today. Well, some of us would. <laughs> Not everybody would, but some of us. You take to the pen yourself, and you're known for writing poetry um, using dialect. A little, well, a little bit, yeah, yeah, a little bit. Mm, I've done a couple, yeah. You're going to have to recite a bit as we stand here. I can't go without hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> I see you write under a pen name there. It's yeah. Billy Wallsworth. Wallsworth, yeah. <laughs> Play on words. <laughs> Fat bacon. When I were a lad, I was told by me dad, if you wants to be healthy and never be bad, get your sense to yon sty and start with the making of fattening a pig for some good old fat bacon. So when we was kids, me brother and I went to feed the checks in the sty, for a check is what we call a pig in this county from Boston to Brig. No fancy pellets would we feed, barley meal mash was all we'd need, mixed in a bucket and stirred with a stick and made with hot water and made dud and thick. Stale old veg and all kitchen straps, everything went to feed them chaps. 
But what they liked most putting on their plates was a great big couch in a rotten pig tits. <laughs> Do you feel different when you are speaking in native dialect than when you're speaking, let's say, standard English. I don't know as I do speak standard. I just speak like this. I'm not, I ain't putting out onto your ear. This is how I am. Yeah. So it's no different to me. I don't. I don't. I don't have a phone voice. To me and people in in the club, it's just important. Say, preserving the countryside, preserving buildings, and this. And to us, it's just important to preserve the dialect and the language. Just in hundred years' time, there won't be any silly sods like me left. <laughs> so nobody will know what we sound like. So that's why we do it. That, that's the whole point of doing it, really. <laughs>